We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 today if you want to turn there. Matthew 24. I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This conversation that Jesus is about to have with his disciples is heavy. And we're gonna get into that today. And the conversation that I have to have with you all this morning and those of you that are joining us online is gonna be a heavy conversation. But last week, Pastor Elijah did an awesome job. Yes. He did an awesome job teeing up this event that we're going to have called Kaya, or Come As You Are. We love acronyms here at the church. So Kaya is Come As You Are. It's coming in April. We're very close to it, a couple weeks out. So I'm going to dovetail off his message. And there's a couple things he said last week that I want to reiterate this week. One of them being that as believers, even as unbelievers, sometimes we're very comfortable in our suffering. Amen? We're just comfortable. We're just so used to it. We don't really want to get out of it. And he was challenging us that this is the day, this is the time to get out of your suffering. Take a step. Take a face step, as he calls it. As we call it here as a church, it's the next step. But also he mentioned how we as believers coming to church, we're very comfortable with the routine, with how things go in a church, that we don't see the new move of God. And let me tell you something, he is moving, amen? We're seeing it. I'm seeing it, I feel it. Because, and I know everybody's looking at this sign. This is coming. And there's some things though that need to happen before that occurs. And I'm gonna get into all of that this morning. So I hope you got your Bibles open to Matthew 24 because we're gonna go through some verses today. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna set it up because I think it's very important before we get into what I just read and beyond, it's very important to understand the frame of mind that Jesus was in when he said the things that he said. Because he said one very important phrase, this must take place. What we're living in today, what we're experiencing, what's happening, he said, these things must take place. They're very sobering words, but they're also very comforting if you're in Christ. Very comforting. Because that means this is happening soon, right? And as I said before I began my message, This is the church, this is our greatest hour. This really is. And so with that, I wanna pray. Father, I just wanna thank you so much for this word that you have for me to give this morning. I thank you that the words that I speak let to me the words that you want me to speak. Father, I ask that the ears be open to hear today and for the hearts to be open to listen and receive today what it is that you're gonna have me speak. Father, I thank you that it will not just be Words that we hear, but words that we also put into action and do to grow your kingdom. And Father, I pray this right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So, 
Everybody here pretty much, I, I think, is well-informed on what's going on in the world. Um, if you're not, I guarantee you when you go to the gas pump, you're feeling the pain. And you might be wondering what on earth is going on. And if I'm honest with you, I, I kind of feel like COVID-19 is over. <laughs> like, where'd it go? You know? All the hype is gone. And it's just been crazy, if I could say that. I think it's funny, too, that I think people get more excited about the fact that Tom Brady retired after 39 days of retirement. He came out of it. And it's kind of like, you know, us as Americans, we're going through our life, we're living our life, we're, we're living the dream, right? Going to restaurants, going to sporting events, excited that Tom Brady's coming back. I mean, it's just been, it's been crazy that I almost equate these days as the days of Noah. We just go on merrily doing our life, not realizing that this is about to happen. And, and I think, you know, I, I know that some of the naysayers out there, because I got, I got through reading an article the other day, it caught my eye, um, from the Rolling Stone magazine. They're making fun of Christians right now. Because they're like, well, yeah, you say that Jesus is coming back, and you're all crazy about this end time stuff. Well, you guys have been saying that for, for centuries. And they're right in some respect, right? But as we're seeing things happening, happening one thing after another, COVID-19, the invasion of Ukraine, which could lead into World War III. I mean, these things are just rapid fire coming our direction, right? And the church's response to that is so important. But I think, if I could be honest with you, I don't think our response to what's happening is really what it needs to be. And so I want to go back to the conversation that Jesus is going to have with his disciples here in a minute. And I want to read through some of the things he says because they're very sobering. And I know, I know I've been talking about a lot of heavy topics recently, but I feel like there's a reason for it. I feel like God is saying, wake up. Because the time is now. So I'm going to go back to Matthew 24. Verse 1, I'm not even going to get off the first, free, uh, first four words. Jesus left the temple. So he left the temple, which means at some point he entered the temple, right? So when did he enter the temple, and why is this important? So let's go back to chapter 21, if you want to turn, if you have a physical Bible, you could turn just one page over to Matthew chapter 21. Now, we're getting to Easter, but this is the point where Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. And if you go down, if you have an ESV translation, I want you to go down to where it says the authority of Jesus is challenged. So in verse 23, chapter 21, here we go. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority... Are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So here we go. Here's the Pharisees. They're coming in. They're challenging his authority. So what does Jesus do? He answers them in parables. I love that, right? This is what he does, you know? 
For those that are spiritually able to understand what he's saying, awesome. But when you're so hard-hearted and so religious, you don't really know what's going on. So the Pharisees are listening, and this is what what it says in verse 45. So go all the way back down, down to verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Yes. <laughs> and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. There's their number one mistake. Was he a prophet? Yeah, he could speak prophetically. He's God. He knows everything, right? But he's not a prophet. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah they've been looking for, but yet they listen to him and they deem him to be just a prophet. Go on to chapter 22. In verse 15, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. Starting to understand that the Pharisees and the scribes, they're challenging his authority, they don't believe in him, They've seen him do all these miracles. They still don't believe in him. He's telling them basically who he is through parables. They don't see it. They think he's talking about them, which they are, which he is, but they don't believe in him. And now they're trying to snare him and trying to entangle him so they can arrest him. Can you understand that if I was Jesus, I'd probably be a little upset going into chapter 23, going into chapter 24. So keep going. Verse 23, he says, the same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question. So now they're questioning the resurrection, and he is the resurrection and the life, so here we go, right? And this is how Jesus answered them as they were questioning about the resurrection, about who's going to be married and who and all that good stuff. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So if you're a Pharisee and a scribe, the scribe is the ones who write the law out and interpret it and add to it. Pharisees who preach it, who don't live by it, but the man that you do live by it, hello religion, they're being told by God himself that you don't know the power of God and you do not know the scriptures. That's amazing. I'd be like, ooh. Go down to verse 34, the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, which you're not doing, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is also something they are not doing. Church, are we doing that? You know, I sit here and I read how the Pharisees are coming after him, how the scribes are coming after him, and he keeps pointing a finger right back, and it's a very big finger, right back at them. And it's like, huh, I'm so glad I'm not one of them. Well, guess what? The shoe fits. Go down to verse 41. I'm still in chapter 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. So here's what happens. All this is going down. I think Jesus finally had enough, right? And we go into 23, chapter 23. And this sets us up for chapter 24. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Religion. Burden. Totally missing the heart of God. That's what they were doing. That's why Jesus was so angry at them. Totally missing the heart of God. Totally missing and misinterpreting the law and why it was there. They, they just tied these unnecessary burdens on the people, but yet themselves were unwilling to lift a finger. Hypocrites. Why do you think people don't come to church today? It's because they feel like what I'm going to do as the pastor as they come in here, I'm going to lay these heavy burdens on them. And they're not going to be able to do anything with it. So he goes on, and he goes on into what they call the seven woes. I'm going to read a couple of them for you. They do apply to us as two, by the way. These seven woes. What's a woe? It's, it's, it's righteous indignation is what it is. It's angry. This is what he says. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wow, did we just say hell in church? We did. That's some pretty serious charges, right? Like my... my my calling as pastor is to lead people to heaven through Jesus, right? So when people come in here and they're unbelievers or maybe they're just seeking God, maybe they're, they're looking to rededicate their life because they already know Jesus, the last thing I want to do is tie on heavy burdens. The last thing I want to do is be hypocritical, give them things to follow that I don't even follow. The last thing I want to do is make them a child of hell. These are some very heavy things that Jesus is saying. Still in chapter 23, go to verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Are we guilty of that? Like how many of us wear a mask when we come into a church? Like everything looks hunky-dory, right? But inside it's raging. It's like a raging inferno. There's things that are going on in your life that only God can undo. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Man, he just keeps on piling one thing after another. Well, as if that wasn't enough, he keeps going. We're going to go down to verse 34. He says, therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murder between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, the blood of of all these prophets is on your head. And he goes on to verse 37. If you have ESV translation, it says, a lament over Jerusalem. So you can see that Jesus did that in the past with, uh, with uh, Chosen, Beth- Bethsaida, Capernaum. He said very similar things. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent up to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house has left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the system is broken. We have a major problem here. There are people that the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the lawyers have led people astray. The system is broke, and now I've got to fix it. That's why I'm here. I came to die and to raise from the dead three days later, and I will come back again. That's the end right there. The system is broke. Let me tell you, friends, the system is still broke. He's the solution. And he's left the church here in these days to be the solution as well, to point people to the solution. So he says this, and you can imagine what the disciples are doing as he is saying these things. We hear these things, and like I say, we're quick to dismiss them in our own lives, but we the church are just responsible for what we have, right? God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us a spirit, not a fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. The greater is he that is in us and he that is in this world. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that quickens our mortal bodies. We have so much that he has given us and we have the same responsibility, but we're not to misinterpret it. We are to do it rightly, justly, correctly, and that is through love and compassion, not through judgment and condemnation. So here we are and we're in the same boat as the disciples. So they hear things like, You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and leaves the temple. Now we're back where we started, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. So Jesus left the temple and was going away. This is very symbolic. He is going away from the temple. He is like wiping the dust off his hands and feet. He's like, see you later. That system is broken. Now it's time to move forward. The disciples are following him. And it's funny because I think the disciples are very awkward right now. They're like, this is a very awkward situation. I'm very uncomfortable. And this is what they say. Look at the pretty buildings. Because uh, this is not a lesson that we should take for ourselves, right? The church is not a building. It's not about the buildings. I mean, we've been blessed with a very nice building, but it's not about that. It's about you and I 
being part of the church. They're like, look at the pretty buildings. One translation says, you know, precious stones, beautiful buildings. And Jesus said, you see all these here? Not one of them are going to remain on top of the other. Wow, that's, that's a buzzkill, isn't it? Just, just it's, it's enough to hear all these things that he said in the temple, and then you come out, and he says, not one of these stones are going to be left on top of the other. So he's telling them something that's going to happen in the future, in the very near future, in 70 AD to be exact, when Titus destroys Jerusalem. So he is looking into the future and he's saying this to the disciples. And of course, you can imagine they're conversing amongst themselves like, what is he talking about? And now they're making the trip from the temple, and we're going to see here in a minute, to the Mount of Olives. Maybe a little over a mile journey to the western slope of the Mount of Olives. And it's beautiful because, and I've never been there, and I'd love to go there. But apparently you can sit on that slope and basically look right at the Temple Mount. You can see the city all before you. And so he gets to this point, and this is what happens. Verse 3, chapter 24, verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? That's the first thing they ask. And what will be the sign of your coming? The second thing they asked. And of the close, close of the age, that's the third thing. So there's three things they're asking here. So when will these things be? Well, they're asking about the temple. But Jesus is not even going to cover that in what he's going to say. They do want to know about his coming, which is great. And they do want to know about the end of the age. So this is what he answered them with. The very first thing he said is, see that no one lead you astray. He's telling them that then, that fits us right now here today. See that no one leads you astray. Let me tell you something. Everything that I say out of my mouth on a Sunday or whenever it is that I open my mouth to preach, I do a lot of prayer because I don't want to be accused of ever leading anybody astray. And it's a heavy responsibility to the point where I'm literally shaken when I come up here sometimes, most times. But see, as Jesus is talking about the end, he said, see that no one leads you astray. And he goes on to say, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We've had many false messiahs in history that have led many people astray. But another way, as I've been praying about this verse and how does it apply today, that we as the church can be led astray is by certain voices that are out there. They're not necessarily saying anything wrong. It's just that it's a big distraction And if I could be very blunt with you all, as things are increasingly getting worse in this world, it's very, it's very tempting to focus on that right there. And there are enough prophets 
brother so-and-so and sister so-and-sos that are out there that are saying things that not necessarily lead you astray, but distract you from the here and now. And I'm asking this because I'm going to tell you, I'm just as guilty. I want to know what's coming. I want to know what's going to happen. I want to know when Jesus is coming back. I want to know when the end is too. And it's so easy to get focused on that. It's like a, like a, like a, a, an insect flying to one of those electric buzzers, right? Those lights. It's very tempting just to, to zoom in on that. It's so tempting to stay there that we're missing everything that God is doing up to that point. Jesus said, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the... So you want to know what's at the end? Him. That's really all that matters. Revelation is there, and yes, we're supposed to study it, and yes, bless are those who do. Okay? The Bible says it. But let's be honest. Do we really, really know what all of that says? And sometimes I think we get so wrapped around the axle about that that, like I said, we're missing everything that God wants us to do now. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse six, and this is when it gets real heavy. These are the things that are happening now. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's the first thing he calls out. He's gonna go on and say some other things too, but wars and rumors of wars is the first thing he calls out. Are we in a season where we're hearing about wars and rumors of wars? Absolutely. So why is that the first thing he's, he's, he's talking about here as we're getting to discuss what are the signs of his second coming? Because wars and rumors of wars, war is a culmination of sin. It is like the Super Bowl of sin, right? We're seeing it on the news now, what's happening in the Ukraine civilians, children being killed, deliberately targeted. It's like the culmination of sin is war. Wars, as he says here, are wars that directly impact us. World War II was a war for us. Rumors of wars, rumor being a word that means report, would be considered like the Ukraine. The way that I like to say it is, where are the body bags going? If they're coming here, draped with American flags, that's a war. If they're dying elsewhere, it's a rumor, it's a report. Wars and rumors of wars. They're happening now, they've happened throughout all of history. But they're happening a lot more frequently now. This is what he said, see that you're not alarmed. What? So there's wars, there's rumors of wars, and I'm not supposed to be alarmed? Let's go down to the next verse. Before I start reading the rest of that verse, verse six, let's go down to verse seven. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. On top of the wars and rumors of wars, and you're telling me that I am not to be alarmed. Yes. That's what he said. So nation versus nation. Are we experiencing that right now? Absolutely. May not be directly in conflict like a war, but economically, positionally, trying to gain the upper hand, always undermining one another. Nation versus nation, that's happening. What about kingdom versus kingdom? Absolutely. Systems of government, right? Communism, democracy or representative republic, whatever you want to call it. There are all these different ways that there are kingdoms versus kingdoms, ideas, ideologies, nation versus nation, China versus America, whatever, right? It's, it's there. It's happening. We're seeing that right now. Famines. I started looking up. One of the, the things that, that I'm intrigued about is how we, the world, try to fix major problems, which completely points us to Jesus, right? Because he's the only way that anything will be solved or fixed, but we, the world, think that we can take on things like a famine. And one of the, the greatest musical events of my time, I believe, was Live Aid. And I loved all those concerts. I loved when Queen sang at Wembley Stadium. I thought it was amazing. Live Aid raised $127 million for famine relief in Ethiopia. What they don't tell you it didn't really do a whole lot. The food, the food, most of it ended up on a, basically on some docks when it was shipped in and it was left there to rot because they didn't have the transportation to move it inland to where the people needed it. $127 million worth of food. There will be famines, as Jesus said. How about earthquakes? We in Oklahoma know earthquakes, don't we? There are plenty of those. I would consider Oklahoma being a various place. <laughs> but one of the greatest earthquakes that ever hit was very recently, in 2004, at 9.1 on the Richter scale. And it was in the Indian Ocean. Indian Ocean is where it hit. And it sent a huge tsunami and killed so many people. We, we are in the time right now where these things Yes, they've been happening for a long time, but they are happening a lot more. And Jesus said, see that you are not alarmed. Why? Because we as the church, we shouldn't be alarmed. We have him. We're in Christ. See, I think we need to get our mind off of our years that we have on this earth. Because that's how we think, right? We only think about our existence on this earth, and I know all of us know we're going to go to heaven. We know that if we're in Christ, that means you've received him as your Lord and Savior. You're turned away from your sin. You receive him as your Lord and Savior. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and he raised from the dead. He's resurrected alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father. We'll be coming back at the end. You're in Christ. You have a home in heaven that's guaranteed, but for some reason, we tend to focus on our day-to-day -day life down here, and we have got to get away from that. That's why Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. I know I belong to God. I know when my life is over, whenever that is, it really is only going to begin. 
So my peace is not in what's going on in the world. My peace is in the fact that I have eternal security. My peace is in the fact that I've got Jesus right there with me. He goes before me. He's behind me. He's around me. I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> I have, I had this international studies teacher in high school. And I remember we were talking, and back in those days, the Soviet Union was still a, a threat, which we have now learned that they're really never were not a threat, they still are. But she used to say that when it comes to nuclear war, she said, you might as well just get a lawn chair, put it up on your roof of your house, put some sunglasses on, and enjoy the view. And I was like, wow. Because what she said is you don't want to live after something like that happens. And for a lot of people, that's a scary thing to think about, right? But when you're in Christ, you know, Jesus is with you, then you begin to think beyond your natural existence. Do not be alarmed. All this stuff's going to happen. So why must this take place? And this is what he says in verse 6. He goes, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. Why does all these things take place? Why are they happening closer and closer together? Why? The very first reason is because sin entered the world. These things are going to take place. This world is God's beautiful creation that was corrupted through sin. We're all guilty of that. We're the reason why these things are happening. The second thing is simply this. It points to him coming back. When something happens in the world, like a Ukraine situation or like a COVID-19, what does it do? What, is it, what should it do? It should push everybody to Jesus. That's why when 9-11 happened, and I said this a couple weeks ago, when 9-11 happened, there was a spike in church attendance. So what was turned for evil through sin and the devil entering into this world, God using, is using for good. This is like, should be a magnet to the gospel when things go crazy around in this world. So with 9-11, it happened. I did some study on that. There was only a 6% spike in church attendance when 9-11 hit. This is through a study through Gallup. 6% spike. But what they find out is within a month, church attendance went back to normal. So what does that tell you? So there's, there's a professor that's quoted in this study. He's a professor from Duke University of Religious Studies. He said, religion and its behavior is not usually affected in the long term by a single event. So as the birth pains, as we're going to read about here in a minute, are continuing to happen, then they should be driving people into church. And as they get closer and closer together, church, what does this mean? This means we've got to get ready. Because more and more people are going to be coming in here, seeking answers, wanting to know what on earth is going on. And that's why Jesus said, do not be alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. 
That butt is the most incredible butt in all the Bible. (laughs) But the end is not yet. So we have these things that are happening. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, all these things. Nation versus nation, kingdom versus kingdom. All these things are happening now. But the end is not yet. Quit looking at the end. We're in the butt right now. This is, this is the church age. This is the best time, in my opinion, to be part of the church. This is the best time to be a believer in Jesus. And if you're not, this is the best time to accept him. So, so what is the but? Well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to turn there real quick. Paul said in verse 1, working together with him, that is God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, here's the but, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We are in that time. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If it's a favorable time, and this is the day of salvation, then we should be reaping the harvest. Our hand should be put to the plow, and we should not look, not just back, but forward as well, to the end. That is not important right now because he's going to come back when he's ready to come back and we can't do anything about it. So why do we focus so much time on brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, prophet whomever? Why do we spend so much time worried about whether Russia is Gog and Magog or why? This is not the focus. This right here. Because behold, now It's the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Verse 8. Matthew 24, verse 8. Jesus said, all these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Birth of what? Birth of him coming back. Birth of the thousand-year millennial reign birth of the new heaven, the new earth, all of the things that are coming that we are looking forward to, that we are excited about, that yes, we're all guilty of studying a lot and way too much probably, but we got work to do. We have things to do. The big idea is simply this, the evil things must happen. And they will happen. And evil will have its day. But the end is not yet. So if you're a believer and you're sitting here or watching online, then we've got work to do. If you're not a believer and you're in here or you're watching online, then I pray that this is the day of your salvation. I think we as believers that sometimes we get so comfortable in church 
that we almost pray that Jesus would just come back now so we don't have to do anything. There's waiting. I'm waiting upon the Lord. Yeah. Are you living for the Lord? I'm waiting for that to happen too. And let me tell you, there, there, there are days when I, I do pray that. I'm like, Lord, come now. Oh my gosh, come now. You're probably praying that right now. Oh Lord, come now. Because <laughs> what is pastor going to ask me to do? You know, there is the waiting and that's fine. But when that is 99.9% of our focus, then we're not really living for God. And I think sometimes God is saying a little less talk, a lot more action. And, and I know I've been beating that horse for a long time now, but see, we have a special church. Believe me, I, I watch other churches and I'm not knocking them. And, and yes, there are times we need to talk about marriage. Yes, there are times we need to talk about anxiety, which I've done. There are times we need to talk about uh, believing and trusting in God's promises and, you know, and how it fits in my life and you know, getting a job and I'm blessed and highly favored and all that. Yes. Yes, I agree, but I, 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 I'm here for a reason. I believe God has called me here because for us as this church, as home church, and I believe really for the big church all, it, it's time. It's time to be focused on the work. It's time to be focused on who it is that God has placed around me that is not sitting in this church or another gospel-fearing church. Who has he placed around you? Because I could sit here and give you a 12-step plan to make sure somebody gets born again. And I could lay it all out for you. As a matter of fact, I am going to do that later this year. I am going to go through what does it take to witness to somebody and how do you do it. But to be honest with you, I don't think I would even need to spend 12 weeks on it. I'd spend probably one Sunday. And it's just open your mouth. We, just like the Pharisees, complicate it so much. And I'm convicted, and I'm your pastor. We're walking around Target yesterday. There are plenty of opportunities I can invite people to church. Do I do it? I need to be. I'm telling you all, who are the people that you spend 90% of your life with? If you work in an office with a cubicle, I guarantee you, you got people around you. Yeah, but I'll get fired. No, just invite them to church. You don't need to sit there and, and do a, a, you know, open up the Bible and go through, through uh, John chapter 3. Just open your mouth and invite them to church. This is why we're doing Kaya, this whole come as you are. This is, this is, you know, Easter is a recognition of Jesus and what he's done for us. And we celebrate that. But I don't want to just be a party of us that have been here faithfully every Easter Sunday. I want people that have never stepped into a church on an Easter Sunday or it's been 20 years or 10 years since they've stepped into a church on Easter Sunday. But I can't do it all. And as I look around in this room, this is probably the most people we've had in this auditorium in a while. There's a lot of you here. And if we were to each bring one person to church, I'll make it easy for you. If one family or one couple would just bring one person with them to church, then, you know, maybe that might be a revival. I don't know. It just might be. And who did it? 
God through you did it, but you're the one that opened your mouth. So who is it that God has placed around you that you can influence? That is the question that I want you all to be asking right now. And as I ask that question, I guarantee you there are faces, there are names that are coming to you. Yeah, well, I've asked them before and they said no. Well, ask again. Now is the time. Now is the day of our salvation. Now is the day of favor. Just maybe, as you were thinking about that person or those people, just maybe this time you open your mouth, it's going to stick. But you're not going to know unless you do it.